God. So we're looking at Acts chapter 2, where the early church are filled with the Holy Spirit. And something's going on because some of the people looking think they're drunk. So clearly, you know, there's a definite lot of freedom going on. Um, they're all speaking in languages that they've never learned before. And people are amazing. Well, I can hear them in my language. And someone is saying, well, I can hear them in my language too. And all these guests and pilgrims that have come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, they're all amazed. These people can, they're just from Galilee, from up north. They can kind of speak in all these languages. What's going on? The Spirit's been poured out. And, uh, and then from verse to, uh, 42 onwards, we begin to read about the quality of their life. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Uh, and day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So we're looking at devoted. It says here they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. We've looked at that a few Sundays ago. They're devoted to fellowship. We looked at that um, last Sunday. They're devoted to the breaking of bread. Looked at that two Sundays ago. Today they were devoted to prayer or the prayers. Now, in the immediate context, what did that look like? Well, here's probably what it looked like. Among other things, it looked like they would gather daily to pray. In the most fundamental, distilled sense, what, 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 was the, what, did, what does it mean that they were devoted to prayer? Well, I'm sure they spent time praying alone. I'm sure lots of sponta- spontaneous prayer went on. But if you look straight away into the next chapter, we are told, chapter 3, verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, 3 p.m. So it seems like, um, it seems like the part of what the disciples were committed and devoted to was going to the temple in Jerusalem at the hour of prayer. So when the, when I guess how you would describe it, uh, the Jews who were kind of religious and serious about uh, Judaism, they would go to the temple and pray at that time. The Christians at that point would go and do that too. Now you might think, well, why? Why would Christians go along to the temple uh, and, and sort of get involved in, in the Judaism? Isn't that a bit strange? Well, this is before the whole thing's gone global. At this point, Christianity is still very Jewish. Um, people from other nations haven't been reached yet uh, and really even the disciples haven't understood that this is something God is doing that's totally global they still think it's quite a Jewish thing so for them going to the temples really kind of cool they just go there and they pray to God through Jesus so they do the right stuff but they do it there but the point I want to make is this at 3pm every day they would go to pray that was part of their life now I want to just pause and say imagine that was part of your life for a moment just imagine for a moment every day 3 p.m., you go and pray with other believers. Okay? So it's not just rolling out the mat and facing east. It's not that, just that. Okay? It's not that kind of... It's you gather with other believers every day around 3 p.m. and you, 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 you get a hold of God together. I want you to imagine it because this was what their life was like. And I want you to imagine it because I'm suggesting that when you're filled with the Spirit... What you love to do is to pray together. It's one of the things you start loving. You think, I want to be with other believers and I want to pray with them. I want to connect with God with other Christians. I want us to have that sense of praying, but really praying together. We had, we had a week of prayer a few months back, which meant from Monday to Friday, we met every morning in the upper rooms. And I was surprised by the effect it had on me, um, not just in terms of tiredness. But uh, at 7 to 8 a.m. every morning, we would gather to pray and I found, wow, this really made a difference to me. 
So I'm not even talking about the things we've been praying for now. I'm just, th- something totally su- surprising. I found that I, I, I was just um, buoyed up in a surprising way. I was, I was uh, a sense of wow. And I, I think it took me a while to join the dots why, why I'm feeling like this. And I realized, oh wow, this week we've been praying every morning together. And it made a massive difference, a real massive difference. And so I'm just going to try and provoke some thought on that today. And I want to show how the early believers loved praying together in Acts 4. They're threatened, you mustn't carry on preaching the gospel or we're going to punish you. Their response is they gather together and they pray. God's response to that is that he fills them with the spirit to the extent the whole building shakes. You're worried about people shaking. This is a building shaking, all right? So God fills them with the spirit so they can carry on talking about Jesus boldly. In Acts 6, they need to appoint deacons. What do they do? They pray. Pray and lay hands on them. In Acts 12, Peter's been imprisoned, and it looks like the next morning he's going to be executed. James has been executed very recently. That's the way it goes. It's just the night before his execution. What does the church do? All-night prayer meeting. What does God do? Sends an angel, miraculously releases him from prison. Acts 13, the leaders of, of uh, the church in Antioch are worshipping together and fasting. God responds by what? By saying, set apart from me, Paul and Barnabas. And that's when Paul's missionary journeys begin. Acts 16, Paul and Silas in um, Philippi, they're arrested for um, preaching the gospel. Um, they're beaten and placed in, the, in a dungeon. What are they doing? They're worshipping together. What does God do? Sends an earthquake, miraculously releases them. Uh, the early church loved worshipping and praying together. For them, it wasn't, it wasn't an add-on. It was central to who they were. And what I want to say is this. Listen, if you're filled with the Spirit then you will, you will be praying together with people frequently, fervently, and effectively. If you're filled with the Spirit, there will be something in you that just finds a way of praying with people, not finding a way of avoiding it. Sorry. You see, sometimes you feel when you're trying to get people to pray, you feel like you're, you feel like you're walking uphill. This is a strange thing. I wonder... I wonder why. Whereas I think in a spirit-filled environment, you have to stop people. If so, like, guys, calm it down now. You just, when are you going to just actually do something? You're just praying all the time. There's just this sense we want to just get hold of God together. That's what it is to be filled with the Spirit. There's an effect, an impact. You just, you just know the nearness of God. You know the reality of God in your life. And then you get together with another believer who knows the same thing. There's a synergy. It's like the thing, it's like, wow, this is like, just me and you come together. It's like tenfold. Boom. That's what the Spirit does. It's exciting. It's massively important. As a, a Christian author called Paul Bilheimer says, any church without a well-organised and systematic prayer program is simply operating a religious treadmill. You might be doing loads of stuff, loads of activity, loads of good works, but if as a church you're not getting a hold of God together, actually there's no power in what you're doing. If what we do isn't birthed in prayer, soaked in prayer, and seen right through in prayer, it will not last. It won't last. Because there's a whole load of people in the world doing a whole load of good stuff. But for something to last right through to eternity, that's got to be birthed of God. It's got to be something that God has initiated and that has then as a result you've soaked the thing in prayer and then you've seen the thing right through in prayer. And you think, that, that, that baby's going to last. That, that's that's going to fly. That's got the life of God all over it. 
If you look at one of the most remarkable stories in Jesus' life, when he, he goes into the temple and he turns the tables over and he drives out the money changers and all of that, you think, what's, what, what's going on there? Well, here's what's going on. There. Jesus comes to the temple and he recognises that it should be used for a certain purpose and it's being used for commerce and trade. And so he goes in and he says, you've turned this place into a robber's den. And he says, but, but it, is, it is to be what it is to be a house of prayer for all people. That's what God's house is to be a house of prayer. That's in the heart of God, that his people will gather and seek his face. Why? Because he loves to answer prayer and he loves to connect with his people and he loves to act for his people. This is why we pray on Sundays. This is why we say after the preach, hey, let's take the bread and wine as we do so. Pray with one another. Get with God together. Confess your sins to one another and pray and strengthen each other. That's why we say at the end of the service, if you want someone to pray with you, stick around, find someone. Come, we want to just pray, get around you, strengthen you. Because it's a house of prayer. It's just a school hall. But when we gather here, it becomes a house of God. It's a house of prayer. It's why we do that crazy thing every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. Why? God's church is to be a house of prayer. It's why in your gospel communities, you might have seasons of prayer or a night of prayer. Or What is going on there? It's a house of prayer for all peoples. It's why we do twos and threes. Why? So you can get together and pray. I've been in relationships over my life with people just for seasons, you know, where I've met one-on-one or one-on-two or three or whatever, and where we've just got hold of God for a season, maybe a year, year or two, we just meet every week and pray. I tell you what, life, amazing, especially when you hit some stuff. You're like, man, I'm glad I've got this setting to really wrestle it out in prayer with someone else who's standing with me. Massively important. It's really, really huge. And... One of my aims in this message today is to tackle anything in your mind that sees prayer as yet another requirement by God that you need to tack on to your already busy life. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh no, it's a sermon on prayer. I can't do it. Does he know what hours I work? Does he know the pressure I'm under? Does he know the length of my commute? Does Does he know what it's like indoors for me? Does he have any idea? And it's like another thing to tack on, another pressure. I really want to do my best to uh, tackle that way of thinking today. I want to say to you that prayer is your lifeline to the God who gives life. It's not, it's not something that you tack on as an extra pressure. You, you could argue it's a pressure valve, it's to release the pressure, among a lot of other things. If it is not central to your life, I want to say this, if praying isn't central to your life, also, I'm not just saying praying, but praying with others, then your life will be out of kilter. Your life will be under-resourced, massively under-resourced, and yet the frightening thing is you may not even realise it until way down the road. And you think, do you know what? This has gotten really flat. Or, you know what? I, I actually haven't got what I need to face this, feeling completely overwhelmed by this. Well, you're not filled with the Spirit. You're, you're travelling on flat. You know those noises, those cars, when a car goes by with a flat tyre. Hey, man, alive. If only it was that obvious when we were flat, we could sort it out, couldn't we? Because they want to be going, oh, hey, mate, go and pray, listen to you, you know. But it's not that noticeable, is it? In fact, you can get away, especially if you know the lingo, you know how to do the stuff. You know, people can come really convinced, but actually you're, 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 you're not travelling anything like what God has for you, potentially. If you're, not, if you're not in a, in a life of prayer. So I really want to get to the heart of motivation. That's what I want to do. For the rest of this message, I want to just try and look at and unpack some, some things on prayer to help to actually motivate you 
because we are creatures of desire. We, we do the things we want to do, don't we? we? We do. We do what we want to do. Fundamentally, your diary looks like it does because of the choices you make. Fundamentally. You might say, no, no, you don't understand. I'm under so much pressure from that person, that person, that person. Yeah, but you're saying yes. You're saying yes. So fundamentally, we are creatures of desire who could be that we desire to please people so much that we can't say no that we're so busy. But whatever it is, it, you can root it back to desire. So I want to help you with that. Um, for the remaining time, I want to help you understand how you might actually get hold of God in prayer. And I want to speak earnestly about this. That's really my, my, the rest of my message. I want to talk to you about getting hold of God in prayer. Because if you don't get hold of God in prayer, and I'm talking about experientially, I'm talking about this, I'm, I'm doing the charismatic, I'm talking about experiential Christianity, all right? I'm talking about getting hold of God in prayer so you know you've got a hold of God in prayer. I want to put it to you and propose that if you do not know how to get a hold of God in prayer, then your motivation in praying will decline, decline, decline until it almost stops. Why? Because praying without getting a hold of God, I would suggest, and some of you might hate me for this, that it's not just useless, but actually detrimental. Actually detrimental to, because, well, it's like Paul describes in 2 Timothy 3.5. He says, he talks about, um, a particular kind of peop- person, he says this, he says, uh, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Having an appearance of godliness, so there's a prayer life going on, and maybe singing and stuff, but denying its power. There's no power. There's no power in their life. There's no, you know, the, the Bible word for power means the ability to do. There's no ability from above to do impossible things. There's no ability to do things that are just, wow, how do you do that? It's not there. An appearance of godliness, but denying its power. That's frightening. Because at least the person who doesn't pray and doesn't believe in God knows something's got, at some point would suggest something's got to change if they're going to become a Christian. But for someone who says, no, 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 I'm into this stuff, I, I believe, but there's no prayer, uh, there's no power. And, and as a result of there being no power, there's lots of defeat. Lots of defeat um, to wrong thinking, um, sin, uh, temptation, lots of deception and delusion, seeing things in cranky ways, really don't know quite how to overcome hurdles of unforgiveness and bitterness and things like this and constantly losing temper or uh, going under or whatever. And it's like there's no power in your life. It's just because there's no prayer. It's really significant stuff. Um, now, prayer's about a lot of things. So it's, a, it's about worship. Because when you pray, you're saying, God, I can't do it, but I believe you can. And that's really worshipful. That's really honouring to God, because you're saying, Lord, I'm out of my depth, I can't do it. Which is great, because God says you can't do it as well. So when you, when you say, I can't do it, you're agreeing with him, and you're honouring him. It's also about warfare. Prayer is really uh, seriously about um, uh, warfare. The Bible says our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your horrible boss or it's not against uh, your bully neighbour. Not, that's not what your warfare is against. It's against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's where the warfare is. And a mighty prayer warrior called E.M. Bounds, he says this, prayer is the condition by which all foes are to be overcome and all the inheritance is to, is to be possessed. It's about warfare. It's about leadership. Prayer is about leadership because as a Christian, if you're involved in leading anything, the whole precondition is, is that you are being led by God. Therefore, you must be in prayer, so you're saying, God, show me what to do, show me where to go. A brilliant godly leader, a guy called Toppy, who's preaching at our conference, he said this, I could give you 50 pragmatic things to help your leadership, but none of it is a substitute for talking to God. 
Talking to God is irreplaceable. A relationship with him. Pouring out your heart to him. Knowing him intimately and closely. There's nothing that will replace that. But what is prayer ultimately about? I think ultimately it's about being known and knowing him. This is what I want to focus on for the rest of the talk. It's about knowing God and being known by God. Which some people find scary. For some people it's a little bit close to the bone. Actually they're much more comfortable with something a bit distant. From the whole time God's saying, I really want something more than that. A word that's often used a lot in Christian circles is intimacy. Um, I think it can be a helpful word. I think sometimes it's not so helpful, but I think one of the ways it can be really helpful is a, a little play on the word, which is into me see. I think it's very significant, actually, that prayer at its heart is, a, is, about, is about letting God see right into you. And there's no pretense, and there's no show, and there's no trying to impress and there's none of this and none of that but you're literally before him and you allow him whose eyes are like burning fire and who looks right into the core of your soul you allow him to see right into the heart of who you are and you find to your wonder and to your amazement that as he does so he doesn't judge or punish you but because of all that Jesus has accomplished through his death and resurrection as you just unfold yourself before him and stand before him you find that he just delights in you and sing songs over you. And you begin to find that your heart is actually being drawn to him. And something of an incredible devotion begins to grow in your heart. And this, this idea of being known by God and knowing him is incredible because the Bible says that at the moment we know in part, but one day we will know as we are known. I mean, it's sublime. One day we will know as we are known. So... God knows us fully. One day, somehow, I don't know how it works, but our knowledge of God will be full. I feel a bit like I've said something bad <laughs> or wrong or presumptuous, but that's what it seems to be saying. Somehow, it won't be known in part anymore, but we'll completely, the depths of God will somehow be revealed by the Spirit in a full way. This is talking about the next age. It's talking about when Christ returns. Incredible. So how does this fit with being filled with the Spirit? How do, what, what, what is it, why, why, I'm talking about this intimacy and this being known by God, and how does it work with being filled with the Spirit? Here's how it works. When the Spirit comes, He comes to fill your spirit, which is your deepest, most inner being. That's where the Spirit comes to indwell and fill. He comes to dwell in your spirit, which is the deepest point of who you are. That's where He comes to dwell. So it's not superficial. It's not transitory, it's not faddish. It's the deepest thing that could ever happen, that God himself, by his spirit, would come to abide in the deepest part of you. The Bible calls it deep calling to deep. Wow. I mean, even preparing this, you just, you just get caught up in the wonder of it. Deep calling to deep. He who searches out God, the spirit searches out the depths of God, that he comes and indwells you. And those things that he has discovered through searching out the depths of God, he begins to reveal into your heart. The Bible says in James 4 verse 5 that the spirit God has caused to indwell you jealously desires you. There's a burning, jealous love in the heart of the one who comes and indwells you. Comes to consume you. This is amazing spiritual truth. Now if you look back at the story of Noah's flood, you'll find something very interesting happened. We're told that the rains came down. Genesis 9 verse 
um, seven, sorry, Genesis 7 verse 11, the rains came down, but it also says the fountains of the deep were broken up. So you've got water, the waters of judgment coming down from above, but you've got, you've got these other waters coming up from the deepest parts of the earth. And it's a picture of being filled with the Spirit. A parallel picture with differences, because this isn't the water of judgment, we're talking about the waters of mercy and grace now, the river of God by the Spirit. But how, how it seems to work biblically is this, if you read an act, it talks about the Spirit falling on people when they're first baptised, so the Spirit falls on them from above, but Jesus, when he talks about it, talks about a well being established in someone's deepest point. So what happens is this, at, at, when you are baptised in the Holy Spirit, he falls on you from above, but from that point onwards, he sets up in you, if you like, the, uh, the well, the fountain. And those fountains, those depths of your very being are broken up by the Spirit of God. And so there's this working, this breaking up of, of, of all, that you, all that we kind of are in our self-sufficiency. We establish our persona or our way and God comes and by Spirit, he breaks that all up so that he might remake it in his image. So that he might flow out, so the river of God can flow out from our lives. This is deep calling to deep. This is being known and knowing. This is allowing him into the deepest part of your motivations and your desires and your longings and your ambitions and your deepest fears and hopes. It's about saying, God, come and indwell me and wonderfully, gradually, sometimes dramatically, do things in me that I would perhaps wouldn't even dare to believe you could do. Make me look like Jesus. It's the river of God indwelling us. It's almost too much to talk about. It's holy ground. It's incredible. Especially when you think how it's been accomplished for us. Because Jesus always knew this intimacy. When, when we think about what it was like for Jesus and the Father, I mean, man, way beyond anything any of us have ever known, there was no sin in the way, no indwelling sin, just perfect fellowship and harmony and just knew exactly you know, the heart of the Father and heard the voice of the Father perfectly until one day. And then on one day he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Suddenly it's all changed. And this Jesus who knew this harmony with God, it's like, what? what? Jesus, how could... Imagine what the, the women standing by thought. Why is he saying that? Why is he crying out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, because he'd been forsaken by God. That's why. Because that harmony, that relationship had been severed. That's why Jesus cried out. There was nothing coming back. Jesus who was used to this connection, this communication, this conversation, suddenly it's not there. The heavens are bronze. It's silence. Why? Here's why. So it would never happen to us. So that God could say to you and me, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. That's why. Jesus takes our place, severed, ruined, sunk, under death, judgment, wrath, so that as he was resurrected, so we could also be. And we could know this new life. And any element of you that sees your Christianity as pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, I must get better, I must just do better, I must kind of, you know, I must get better, and then God will love me, I tell you, it throws an absolute mockery on the cross. The whole point of the cross is that we can't do it. We cannot make ourselves good enough for God. We cannot make ourselves okay with God. You can't, you, I've probably told you a story before, but a tragic story, a dear friend of mine, alcoholic friend who would say to me, Steph, just let me sort the drink thing out, then I'll come to Jesus. Just let me, let me do the, just let me, you know, then I'm ready. And I'd be like, mate, it's not how it works. You come as you are. 
And then he comes and indwells you by grace because of what Jesus has done. And then power's given for you to overcome. Oh, just let me... And he died. Didn't get it. He died, still trying to think, if I can just do this and figure that out, then I'm ready to become a Christian. You're ready when you're at your lowest point. You're ready when you're broken. And you know what? Even as a Christian, that's when you're in your best place. That's when you're in your best place. I heard a Christian preacher say this. When you think you're in your best place, you're probably in your worst place. You've done pretty well and you've had a good week and you've been praying a lot and this, that and the other's happened and you start thinking, I'm doing really well with God. What you're really saying is, probably, I'm really feeling good about myself. (laughs) Oh, I feel, yeah, yeah, I could do this thing now. Yeah, okay, I'm getting this now. And God's looking on going, oh dear. Why? Because that's not how it works. You, never, you don't start with the grace of God, the free favour of God, and then move away from that into building up your own righteousness. You live by the grace of God. That's how it starts, that's how it finishes. And it's grace all the way. It doesn't mean that effort isn't involved, but it's grace-empowered effort. It's effort where you know there's no way I could be doing this, but man, God has is, God is given me power to do this stuff. It's when you go and you pray, not to make yourself feel better that you've prayed, because you know, God, you've got it. You've got what I need, and I haven't got it, and I need you to give me the power so I can do this thing you've called me to do and do it well. And he will. He really will. So if any of you are here and you've got any slight sense of putting yourself up by your bootstraps and self-improvement, and that's your Christianity, I want to say that makes a mockery of the cross. In fact, it's quite insulting because what you're really saying is, Jesus, you didn't really need to have gone through that. The fact that Jesus went through that shows that each of us, left to our own devices, we'd just just get ourselves in a worse and worse position. We'd either just keep doing more and more things wrong, or we'd do things well and as a result get proud and then be worse than the person who's doing things wrong. God in his mercy gives us a solution to our predicament, Jesus Christ. His life, death and resurrection makes us brand new. So I want to just end by saying, are you too busy to pray? Are you too busy to pray? Because if you are, you will be living very under-resourced. Have any of you here as Christians ever done that thing where you've you've got a really busy day and you know it would be great to pray and ask God for help and you're like, yeah? And you go for the, I'm going to pray. You say, I'm going, to, I'm going to pray about this. And then you, you find that actually, you think, at the end of the day, you think, wow, those things look like they were like three days worth of stuff I had to do. I gave a bit of time just seeking God. I've done them all. You ever had that? You think, what was, what was that? God empowered you. God empowered you. Other times you think, you go for the prayer thing, you go to the prayer thing, and the day's still terrible. What's going on there? What's probably going on there is God is probably saying you're most likely kind of, uh, <laughs> dare I say it, you probably, maybe, though you probably don't mean to, worshipping something else other than the Lord. Functionally. In the sense that you're, you're so worked up with what you've got to get done and who you've got to kind of please and this, that and the other that God is actually saying, do you know what? You, you, it would actually serve you a lot better to just realise that you are running around like a mad one. And it's unsustainable. But what I do know is when I go for the option of saying, you know what, I'm gonna, I know I should pray, but I'll just, I'll just check that first. Yeah? I'll just do that first. And then basically the day runs away with you. And at the end you're left thinking, I miss you, Lord. 
just miss you. I've never, I've never looked back on a day that I've kind of given time to prayer to and thought, that was a bad move. Never. never you know, I've never done that. I've never thought, I won't do that again. I haven't. I've thought, that was a good move. So you will be under-resourced if you are too busy to pray. You'll be pushed and pulled without fruit. But to pray, to know and to be known, to access God's presence himself, to be able to ask the one who has all authority in prayer, to plead with the King of Mercy, even to co-labor with the Holy Spirit in prayer, to walk and work with God. I mean, who would have a dismissive attitude to that? Who on earth would put that down their list? If I said to you, do you know what, guys? I've got, I'm in touch with the Queen, and uh, she's got a spare couple of hours Wednesday. And she'd, just, she'd love to, Dave Morris, she's specifically said, <laughs> she's, uh, she, she likes your style. And uh, <laughs> she was just wondering, you know, tea and cucumber sandwiches, 3.30 at the palace. Now, see, at that point, see, Dave's probably busy at Wednesday, 3.30. Dave, nod, help my illustration. Okay. Right. <laughs> but you know suddenly when some things can move. You know that feeling. You were busy. But now some things can move. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, you know what? It's not when you fall in love. You know what? You know, when people fall in love. So they're really, really busy. They've got no time, no time at all, and they fall in love. And it's like, what are you doing tomorrow? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll meet then. Yeah, fine, great. See, well, hold on a minute. You said you had no time at all. Yeah, we can move that. What is going on? What is happening there? Okay. Things can move. You know that things can move. So I said, Dave, the Queen really, really, bit of cucumber sandwiches at 3.30. Different analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, only you can answer that. <laughs> I, but don't feel the need to do it in front of us, okay? You just, that's between you and the Lord. But uh, I think you would move some stuff because it's a big opportunity. Why? It's the Queen. It's the Queen. Now, I, I just want to say this to you guys. It's the King, guys. It's the King. Just because he's available 24-7... Don't, don't get complacent. It's the king. And he really wants to spend some time with you. That is amazing. That is inc- to be dismissive to that. To look down on that. To sniff at that. Oh, guys, come on. I don't think that that is us. And I hope, I hope it's not us as a church that we would be dismissive to that. But if it is, then may the Holy Spirit arrest us, convict us, and then help us out of that mire because we've got stuck in something if that's where we are. And let him, let him re-energise us for the solemn and holy work of prayer. Because as we, as we look at the next few years ahead of us, I mean, boy, I love these gospel communities. The things, you know, I mean, incredi- I know they've been praying. I know, those of you that are doing the prisons work, I mean, it's incredible. They've managed to get into Pentonville now. Last Sunday helped out with the first Sunday morning service in Pentonville. It's fantastic. And Holloway, it's been so hard to open up. Getting in touch now saying, we'd like you to help out in certain ways. That's God opening doors. Yeah. And he opened doors that no man can shut. Now that happens how? Through seeking him and praying. It's not rocket science. It really isn't. But to pray and believe. That is the rule of the kingdom. That is how the kingdom works. Pray, ask, don't stop praying, keep believing. You will bear much fruit. God will do amazing things with you. you God will do stuff with you that is beyond what you could currently believe and as I'm just speaking now for some of you, 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 you you're living in a place where where there's massive challenges faith challenges and it's like man it's not comfortable but it's really doing you good 
It's really doing you good. And even in your own soul, you know, you think, man, I wouldn't have chosen this route. But you know what? Just to be in this place of getting hold of God has done my soul so much good. And there's some of you here, you like that. And I just feel it, you know, I just feel in my spirit that, that the sense from the Lord of well done. Well done. For believing him and trusting him and standing out on a limb and fighting through. And I, I just want, I wonder if, you know, part of what God wants to do with us is just for each of us to, I want to be able to answer. If I said to you, what are you going for in faith? What are you going for? That you'd have something to say this. If you haven't, then my guess would be that your praying will get quite aimless. You know, the one, you know the one, bless the world, Lord, you know. You know those ones. Yeah, just bless everyone, Lord. It's not exactly exciting, is it? Do you know what I mean? Has he or hasn't he? Oh, some people are having a good time, you know. You know, it's just kind of, do you know what I mean? It's like, how do you know? You know, but to go for something in faith. In fact, to go for a few things, to have some things around, you know, the workplace or where you're studying or whatever, or your, you know, your street. God, I'm going for that. To have some stuff around your gospel community. What are we going for in prayer? Stuff for the church-wide. What, what's God called us to? What's God called us into? Because God's spoken some incredible things over us. And really, most of what we do on Tuesday morning is really saying, God, you said, now come and do it. We're really just getting hold of him for what he's promised. And I want to end, end with this scripture, which is from um, Romans chapter 4, where it talks about Abraham and talks about God promising him all these amazing offspring. And he's like about 100 and his wife's about 90. And she's never been able to bear children. And it's like, man, and God says, you're going you're gonna to be a father of many nations. And it's like, how did Abraham, how did Abraham deal with that? We are told, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And I want to finish by asking you this question. Are you fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised? Are you fully convinced? Because the whole thing of faith rests at the end of the day on the character of God. That's where it rests. What is he like? What has he said? Is he able and is he faithful? When he said it, did he mean it? Right. We're going to go for it, and we are going to go for it, and that is the end of it, and we're not going to stop. And that makes for a very energetic prayer life. So, to conclude, if you're filled with the Spirit, you'll want to pray. If you don't want to pray, ask God to fill you with his Spirit. Okay? And, and, and when you ask him to fill you with his Spirit, let him come and deal with you. Don't expect some superficial thing. Say, God, come and motivate me from my deepest point. So that when the going gets tough, I still pray. And it may not be amazing. It may just be a few groans and sighs. But I'm still praying. Why? Because the Spirit has worked on me at a deep level. And then when I'm flying, you know, great. I'm still praising. But I'm not on and off with God. It's not an on-off thing. It's like I've been changed by God. I'm about him and his kingdom now. It's not a tack on. It's not an add on. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is my life. I want us to finish with a response to the Lord. And I hadn't planned this at all, but as I'm here, just feeling just the Lord leading this a bit. I think one of the biggest. One of the biggest things that as a generation we struggle with, and please forgive me for putting myself in your generation. Um, <laughs> uh, otherwise it would just be me, Kevin and Yvonne, and you know, there's only three of us. So we want to kind of, we want to join in with you youngsters. So uh, I think one of the biggest things we, you, struggle with 
is being one thing people. You find it really scary to really just go for God. A lot of you. There's loads of fears about, yeah, but what if? And it feels a lot safer to hedge your bets and have a few plates spinning in case that thing doesn't work out so good. And I want to I say, you know what? It doesn't work like that. And if you just spin a load of plates in case it doesn't work out so good, guess what? It doesn't work out so good. Because <laughs> that's not how it works. Jesus is the only one who is worthy enough to be able to say, I want your all. I want your all. And I've got, an adv- I've got adventures for you that are more you- than you could imagine. But I want you all. I want your heart. I want your mind. I want your soul, your strength. I want you. And if you just know, as I've been speaking, you know, you just think, you know what? I just want to freshly say, I just feel freshly, I want to say to the Lord, I'm not going to tack this on. I want to, just, I want to freshly just say, Lord, I'm all about you. And in doing so, it may not be that anything's actually wrong, but there's just a sense of the Spirit saying, yeah, I want to just do that freshly. Or it may be that actually there's been a lot out, a lot, your life's out of order, you know. It's between you and God. If you want to talk with one of us about it, we'll happily talk with you and pray with you, absolutely. But fundamentally, it's between you and God. But if you just know, do you know what? I want to, be, I want to say today to God in a kind of public way, you know, God, I want to just be all about you. Then I'd love to pray with you. I just would love to be able to, sort of pray and draw a line in the sand with you and say, right, great, so you stand where you are and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand with you and pray with you. If you just lift your hearts to heaven, lift your hearts to him. You know, I'm, I'm just going to pray, really, but the, the, he, he, you know, he's the one. You look to him. You haven't got to... Pray God for the new covenant. You haven't got to go to him through me. Isn't it wonderful? We all go to him through Jesus. So let's just draw near to God in your hearts. I'm going to just maybe just try and articulate something of perhaps what I'm, what, what I'm feeling was behind me asking you to stand. And, you know, you can just say, yes, Lord, yeah, that's me. Or, you know, if I don't get it quite right, what's going on, you just, you just raise your own prayer to him. That's fine. So, Father God, I just... Just bless you for these guys that have been humble enough, really, to well and responsive enough to the Spirit. Thank you, you love responsiveness. Thank you, you love responsiveness. And they've wanted to say, yeah, Lord, here I am. I don't want to tack things on. I want to dare to be all about you. I want to dare to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, trusting that you will add everything else I need to me in the right time, in the right measure, and in the right way. And Lord, as they take this step of faith, even as they stand before you and take this step of faith and say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm all about you. I pray that you would so release your grace by your spirit to them, Lord God. Do we thank you that this isn't a heavy thing? You're the one who said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. You said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we pray, Lord, where people have been living under the, the heavy yoke of trying to do too much, or the heavy yoke of trying to please loads of people, or the heavy yoke, Lord, of, um, of just kind of uh, trying to spin too many plates, just kind of trying to include you, but in a, in a mixed up kind of way. We pray for a release of that burden now in Jesus' name. We just, in the spirit, just pull it off to your shoulders in that sense, and we pray for the yoke of the Lord Jesus to be on you, that, that, that easy yoke and that light burden, that you would know a lightness and a freshness 
And that you'll be able to, I just get a sense, it's like you, I see you traveling light. I see you traveling, I see there's I'm sort of praying, it's just a picture of you traveling light. So you're able to run again. You're able to run. For some of you, you're trying to be what you're not, and it's really weighing you down. I've had to really learn this. There's so many things I'm not. There's so many things I jolly well can't do. And I try and do them, and within 10 minutes, I'm sinking. And someone else can do it without even noticing. And I've had to just learn, you know, I can't do that. And I'm just going to be what I am and trust that God will bring others along. And in doing so, you can just run. And Lord, I just pray for those who just need that wisdom in their life. Just pray, give them wisdom now to know what to just let go of and trust you'll fill the gap. Particularly for some of you, it's around family. There's pressures around family, expectations from family, wider family. Um, you know, uh, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And, for, and, and there's a, a good heart, a heart of loyalty, wanting to honour your family. But for some, there's, 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 there's an expectations to do stuff that's beyond actually what the Lord would say to you. And we just want to, I pray that those um, wrong expectations would be exposed now in Jesus' name. You just reveal what they are, Lord God, so people can actually lay them down and trust that, Lord, uh, that their world won't fall apart if they don't live up to someone's expectations. Just can communicate clearly, I can't do that. We pray for grace to say no to some people in this room today. In Jesus' name, a real grace to just say no. Sorry, I just can't do that. It's one thing too many, Lord God. So that I pray we would be a praying people. I pray we would be a people in touch with God. We would be a people resourced by God. A people energised by God. A people that are um, able to um, not be fretting and worrying about, oh, I've got to do that and do that because I might miss out on this, that, the other. A people who trust you, that you have their best interests at heart and that you will provide the good things they need for them and they're not going to worry, they're going to miss them. We just pray you just really would melt that fear away by your perfect love, Father. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray.